0: One of the pioneers of inbound marketing, of the new rules of marketing and PR, David Meerman Scott joins me for this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. David and I have been friends, colleagues for over a decade writing about all of this crazy world of marketing. He's out with the sixth edition. He's also got a new project where he's building sonic branding, branding using sound And if you check out this episode, you're going to hear an amazing story related to the Grateful Dead towards the end. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is David Meerman Scott. He is an online marketing strategist, author of a whole bunch of books, including the sixth edition of The New Rules of Marketing and PR, probably one of the best-selling books in the last decade with anything to do with marketing been translated into all kinds of languages, some that I don't even know who speaks those languages. Uh, David, <laughs> David, thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, it's great to be here, John, like Albanian. I wonder how many people buy the Albanian edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR. Uh, but it's all good, because occasionally I get a chance to speak in those wonderful countries. It's fantastic. Yeah, you, and you've been there since the beginning with the New Rules of Marketing and PR. I remember when we first started talking about it uh, 10 years ago, which is an amazing amount of time, I think. it's It's like like a. It's like... It's like Twenty decades in dog life.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, I've been podcasting that whole time because I think you came on the show with the with the first edition. So, uh, absolutely, I did. I've been on a
1: couple of times. Yeah, so, so um, you mu- you must be up to multiple thousands of episodes uh,
0: by now. I am, and and I I bet money. I will bet money that I'm the only podcaster on the planet who can say that he interviewed you for the first edition and the sixth edition.
1: There you go. Look at that. How cool is that? So you are actually at the moment. That is true.
0: So thank you for that, John.
1: I appreciate that.
0: So what is new in new
1: rules? New for new rules. Well, what's not new is the strategies. The strategies are understand your buyers and create great content to reach those buyers and reach them in real time using social networks and things like newsjacking what is new are pretty much the tools so uh the first um the first edition was funny i wrote the first edition in 2005 and 2006 it had to as you know cuz you've done a bunch of books it's due to the publisher and then it goes into this black hole for 6 months and then eventually emerges and you're like well, i wrote a book that was seemed like so long ago uh, and when it came out, um, uh, somebody immediately somebody emailed me and said, "Dude, I just read your book. It's really good. But didn't you know there's something called Twitter?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so embarrassing because Twitter didn't exist when I wrote it, and it did when I yeah. when the book came out. So uh, it's all about the new tools. And in the sixth edition. The newer things are Snapchat and Facebook Live, which were not in the older editions. Um, I mean, Snapchat did exist in the fifth edition, but the Snapchat stories part of it didn't. So I'm always looking for the newest tools that people need to use.
0: So one thing uh, an observant fellow like myself who has all of the editions of your book is that somehow you pulled off making it shorter. Oh, yes.
1: You know what I did to make it shorter um, some people think it's radical until I actually say the reason. I removed the chapter on mobile marketing. Uh-huh. And and people say, Well gosh, mobile's so important. The reason I removed it is because I don't think mobile is one chapter out of twenty four in a book about marketing. Mobile is ubiquitous right. so I I I interspersed the bits that were important about mobile throughout the book. Uh, so that chapter disappeared, and then uh, I also just went through and ruthlessly cut stories, even if I liked them, if they weren't um, appropriate any longer in this day and age. I had still had some stories in there that I had written um, more than 10 years ago, and, and I liked the stories, but it's like, ah, I got to cut it. I got to put a new, fresh story in there. So that's why it got shorter.
0: That's funny. We, we Remember, we talked about mobile marketing for like 10 years before it became a thing, and I think you're right. It's just... It's just that, you know, your website has to be mobile friendly and, you know, I mean, it's, everybody's on a mobile device. And so, I mean, it's, it is ubiquitous, as you say. I,
1: th- I think it is. I also <laughs> think, although I didn't really write this, but I also think that online marketing is marketing. I don't, I don't yeah. think there's yeah. any really demarcation anymore. I mean, if you want to reach people right. with your product or service or your ideas, you have to be out there using the tools of electronic communications. And, you know, when the the first edition of the book came out, it was hey, there's this thing called the web. <laughs> right. And now it's like, duh, everyone knows that. Um, you know, and marketing is marketing, no matter what tools you're using. So um, it's not like this is new and different. It's more like, okay, well, how do I, make the, how do, I do this effectively?
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually, for the last couple of years, been really referring to it as your online presence. I mean, because it, it's also not just a website. It's an integration of all of your activity online, you know, which may end up being the hub of your business in general.
1: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely right. And and I think it's really important in this world of social networking that every um, organization, every person have either a website and or a blog because that's real estate that you own. Right. And so many people, you know, they have a LinkedIn, they have a Facebook, that's great, or they have a Twitter, that's great. But Ultimately, that's not real estate you own, and it can go away. Um, you know, those poor people who staked their online reputation on the Vine social networking platform, uh, which many people did. I had a Vine um, account and posted some online videos on Vine. It's gone now, disappeared no longer. And I don't think Facebook is going to go away, but they can always change the way they do business and change their algorithms and start to charge. Or maybe they're going to say, I'm sorry, your your old posts are no longer going to be kept unless you give us money for them. But your own website, your own blog is real estate you own that eventually
0: people who find you, they go to you and you alone. So for many years, we uh, marketing folks uh, kind of, put the cliche content is king you know out there forever and uh, uh to the point where people finally said okay okay i get it but you know i've been for the last couple of years been i really think content has moved to the status of air <laughs> i mean you really almost can't play in any channel without content how, how have you seen content evolve in the in the you know sort of time period you've been writing about content
1: I have actually seen that as well, John. But for me, the the thing that I've noticed, and I've actually written a lot about it, including a couple of books solely on this topic, the thing I've seen is that content has gone from where it where it kind of started, which is that you you publish content kind of on a timetable. you know you do a blog post every week or something like that, right. um, or you plan that next month you're going to have two infographics come out, uh, or you work on your email newsletter uh, a couple of weeks ahead of time, um, to now content being real time, instant engagement. And that's really changed the dynamic because, uh, Twitter is real time when somebody posts something on linkedin or facebook it 's real time not next week but right now and then the concept of newsjacking and we 've done a we actually did an entire podcast on newsjacking a couple of years ago. The idea of newsjacking, which is um, linking your expertise to a breaking news story to generate attention that 's clearly real time so Yes, content is like air, I agree with you, but where a lot of people make a mistake is they don't focus on creating content instantly right now uh, through social networks, through streaming video like Facebook Live, through um, Twitter, whatever it might be, creating an, a blog post, but writing that right now when the moment is right rather than writing it ahead of time um, or thinking about what you're going to do next week. Um, so that is an area that most people, the vast majority of people, are not doing right.
0: And I would contend there's a bit of an art to that, though, because I get pitches all the time where people are trying to, you know, tag or peg their expert to something that just happened in the news, and it comes off really kind of made up. It comes off as sleazy when they don't have a legitimate tie to the story. Yeah.
1: And and I agree with you. I get them all the time myself. Um, it's kind of funny because newsjacking has become so ubiquitous. Yeah. I'm really glad I named that concept, <laughs> uh, and that's a nice way to to drive drive people to your to your brand. But um, when someone just says, um, "Oh, President Trump said this, so you should buy my product," uh, or "Or hey, there's an eclipse, buy my product," um, that that doesn't work so well. Yeah. But what does work? is if you're an eye doctor and there's an eclipse coming and you put out the top 10 tips for how to protect your eyes when you're viewing the upcoming eclipse, that's valuable information. And because you're an eye doctor and because the eclipse involves looking at the sun in some way or another, you are um, uh, clearly uh, an expert in what's going to be happening in that news story or what did happen in that news story if you're writing post that event and that's where the idea of real-time and instant and newsjacking really comes into play is if there's a legitimate tie to that story rather than just some made-up hey we're thinking about this and and we're just gonna like in a sleazy way tie our brand to it
0: yeah, and you get the bonus if you're that eye doctor because President Trump apparently did look at the sun without glasses. He did. He
1: I can't even believe that he did that. After everyone told him not to, he still did it. <laughs>
0: All right. Oh, well. So let's talk about, you know, we've, you are very, your, your brand is very tied to the idea of inbound marketing. Um, I, I have been pushing out for the last couple of years, and I get some pushback on this, but I think that outbound marketing has never been more effective. And in fact, I think outbound marketing is a great way to actually make your inbound marketing even more effective. Your thoughts on that?
1: I would agree with I would agree with you that um, a combination of both is is really great. Um, and, you know, it probably depends on definitions here. I mean, um, HubSpot uh, in, invented the concept of inbound marketing. They wrote a book called Inbound Marketing that came out. Uh, I'm going to guess it was 2010. I forgot the exact date. I wrote the forward to that book. Uh, Brian Brian Halligan and Dharmesh Shah, the two co-founders, wrote that book. Um, and inbound marketing is using content to um, create something of value that drives people into your business as opposed to the concept of outbound marketing of of, of What's traditionally been thought of as interruption techniques of advertising and whatnot, but I would definitely agree with you that a combination of pushing stuff out as well as creating the content that will bring people in is is a valuable strategy. Um, and you know one um, neat little way to think about those two things in action, would be on Facebook, so on Facebook, you can create a, um, a, uh, a post on Facebook, you can post a photograph you can you know post a little um you know, a couple of paragraphs, and toward text-based content, or you can do a Facebook live video, or you can um, create a video and then and then upload it to Facebook. All, all of those are, are are ways that you can use Facebook to send out um, a message to your audience. Um, but you can also then boost that post, uh, and that's using the Facebook ad- advertising program. And I would argue that that's outbound marketing yeah, in the sense that you're paying for that advertisement and you're using it to reach people you don't yet know because when you choose the demographics that of Facebook users that you want to reach, you pay a bunch of money and then all of a sudden um, your message, you know, your video or your photograph, or whatever gets shown in the stream of people that you don't know and I think from many, many marketers have told me that that strategy has been working for them. They create something, it goes to their already, or it goes to their their current followers, their current fans, and then it also goes if they boost it. Um, it also goes to people they don't yet know.
0: So yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, and I, I mean the key to that really is that we're producing the inbound assets, you know, and and so I mean you could even take that to the physical world, and you know, salespeople are much more effective now. If they've got good content that's being used yes. as an implant, yeah. So, yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I've I've said for 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 years now that marketing is creating content that will reach many people at once. Sales is using that exact same content to curate that content one buyer at a time. Yeah. And and absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that's a combination of inbound and outbound. Because I think I think you're right. I've never really thought about it that way. It's a nice way to think about it.
0: All right, let's move to social media. Um, Obviously, you've covered it in every edition of New Rules, including the sixth edition. Um, How, in your mind, has social media evolved for the good or bad in the last couple of years?
1: Um, Actually, I don't even know that social media was in the first edition because I'm not sure – that eleven or twelve years ago, we used the term social yeah. media. Was
0: about 2005, um, I might be so. I might
1: be wrong, but I think that term grew
0: in popularity around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, or so. Do you Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, it's not in the you know 2000, 2007, spring of two thousand and seven, duct tape marketing came out the uh, first edition, yeah. and I did not I did not cover right. social media,
1: yeah. right? So so now it's it's everywhere. Um, so um, I think. What's interesting to me about social media is that the big 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 social media players and I'm thinking Google, Facebook, Twitter, arguably Snapchat are all islands mm-hmm. and they don't like one another they don't play nice with one another. You know, you've got North Korea over here and you've got the US over there and you've got, you know, another another state somewhere else and when you're playing in facebook um you know linkedin is a completely separate island so um you know at w- when when social media first started it was very interesting that that google would show tweets in the search results yeah. um uh, and so the social networks kind of played nice with one another and now it's like you know they're 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 just trying to beat one another up, they copy one another's um, uh, features, and it just feels like they're trying to to encourage people to only use one social network, and I'm not sure I like that, so what does that mean for us as as marketers? is that we have to make a decision. Are we going to focus on one social network? Hey, you know what? For me, LinkedIn is really important. I'm going to focus on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Or does it mean kind of, kind of what I do, which is create a piece of content and push it out on a bunch of networks? And I, my, my typical pattern is I'll write a blog post I'll put it on my blog web Inc now um, and then I will send a link to that blog post on my on my twitter. um I'll usually post a link to that blog post on my Facebook and then I'll copy and paste that blog post into LinkedIn as a linkedin post and um and so it's it's you know it's kind of like okay, I gotta like send an ambassador to each one of those islands to tell them that I've got this thing going on, you know? It's kind of, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, it's the reality of social networking now, I think. Yeah.
0: I, I believe that in the last couple of years, you know, people have come around to this idea of social media, social networking actually being social. I, I see a lot more, a lot less focus on building large followings and a lot more focus on engaging in, say, Facebook yes. groups.
1: Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right about that john um and and I think that that too many organizations are in broadcast only mode mm-hmm. um, they are just pushing stuff out one way and aren't engaging in two way conversation um and the other thing is that many many organizations have a a um, you know sort of a company Facebook page and a company Twitter account, and even if they're a tiny company with three employees, they're still doing it that way. When I think it's much better, I mean it's okay to have the company one, but also have a personal one. Yeah. And if you're the CEO of a company, do have a personal Twitter, a personal Facebook, a personal LinkedIn that you use to communicate for the most part, um, and, and the company one is fine. But people don't really want to engage with companies unless they're enormous brands. For example, I engage with American Airlines on a pretty regular basis. Um, um, And I also engage with individuals at American Airlines, like Jonathan Pierce, for example, who worked there, who I met through social networks.
0: Mm -hmm. You told me about a new um, project that you are working on, something called Signature Tones, a sonic Ah, branding studio. So tell us about that. So
1: think about the elements of branding. There's uh, branding, visual branding, which is things like logos and colors. Uh, there's branding using text, um, so the written word is a form of branding. Um, you can use video as a way to brand your organization. Uh, great customer service is a, is a great way to brand an organization. Uh, one of the least used and least understood form of branding that I know of is branding using music using sound mm-hmm. and i've all i've i've for a long time wanted to start an agency and i and actually for 15 years i've thought about starting an, an agency and i've always rejected it because there's people much smarter than me who are great at having for example a search engine optimization agency or a, a um uh, a public relations agency, an advertising agency, and uh, content creation agency. I didn't want to do any of those things because there's a lot of people doing them, but almost nobody has a sonic branding agency. So I started this company with my friend Juanito Pascal. He's a, a composer uh, and a, a touring musician, and he has a bunch of CDs. Um, he's done music scores. He does. He's sorry. He just He's done film scores. He's done television scores, and we create sonic logos, as well as original music for companies. A sonic logo is between, say, five five and 15 notes Mm -hmm. that's used as a recognizable sound that um, people remember a brand around. So, for example, when you shut down your pc it makes a, a noise and that noise is a sonic logo yeah. or the skype ringtone is a sonic logo or the nbc chime or intel inside those are all sonic logos we create those for companies we also create original music that might be used used for hint hint podcast theme music right. um, or original music might be used um, as background in videos or walk-on music for um, public speakers as they're walking onto the stage um, that bank be used on the trade show floor or on hold music on the telephone, and that is music that's perfectly represented in a brand. Most people, when they think of using music in those applications, do one of three things. They either steal the music, popular music, which you can go to jail for, mm-hmm. or they use music that they get from a stock music house, pay 100 bucks for, but somebody else could have that music, and it doesn't really represent their brand, um, or they try to work with a recognized musician and have to spend huge bucks to get a popular song uh, licensed for them. Uh, So we provide a wonderful alternative, which is get your music composed especially for you.
0: I think you need to get a couple baseball players, you know, for their walk-up song. you know, that (laughs) they can be your endorsers. And
1: it's been really fun because, as you know, I'm a huge music geek. I wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. And I love the intersection of music and marketing. And I wrote a book, that that book, which is a fun uh, uh, sort of tome about the intersection of music and marketing. And this sonic branding studio that I built with Monito is another way that I can – link music and marketing together in a really cool way.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you how many Dead uh, shows you've seen this year. Uh,
1: I have seen Dead and Company a couple of times, but oh man, did I have fun a couple of weeks ago. Um, Brian Halligan's is the CEO of HubSpot. He's a great friend of mine and my co-author in Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. And um, a couple of months ago, Brian purchased Jerry Garcia's favorite guitar ah. named Wolf at an auction for 2 million dollars a little oh, wow. bit under 2 million dollars wow. and so Brian now owns Wolf and the Garcia family reached out to Brian because it was Jerry Garcia's 75th birthday celebration <laughs> and uh, at Red Rocks out in California one of the the the, the best music venues on the planet And they wanted to use Wolf in the celebration and have some musicians play Wolf. And so I actually escorted Wolf to Red Rocks in Colorado myself. We had two first-class seats. I had one seat. Wolf Ah. had the other. (laughs) We flew out to Colorado, and then Wolf was played, and we had backstage passes, and we went for sound check and met the musicians, John Mayer and and, uh, Bob Weir and O'Toole Burbage and a bunch of other cool people. And, uh, and then enjoyed the show, and it was absolutely fantastic. So I, I Grateful Dead geeked out on that big time, John. <laughs> I, I tell you, I,
0: I, carrying a $2 million guitar would have made me nervous.
1: I was nervous. <laughs> I was nervous, but that was the only way the guitar could get out because Brian had a meeting yeah, yeah, in a different yeah. city before that and another meeting in a different city after that, and I was going Boston, Denver, Boston, and so I was the designated yeah, wolf awesome. wrangler.
0: So, <laughs> so is that a, a Strat?
1: What is that? Uh, and it's a custom-made Doug Irwin guitar. Oh, it was wow. made especially for Jerry to his specifications. There's only one like it in the oh, world. Cool. And um, uh, it took about a year to make. It was Jerry's favorite guitar. And unlike most guitarists who change their instrument instruments constantly, I mean, you watch. For example, Keith Richards um, of the Rolling Stones—he'll—he'll he'll play five or six or, or even ten guitars in one concert. Oh sure. Jerry, Gar- yeah. Gar- Jerry Garcia plays played the same guitar for a decade. It was his favorite, um, and it was totally custom made. And um, uh, for Deadheads, it's—it's it's incredibly famous. You know, you see, you know, yeah. there, there's thousands and well, millions of photographs out there of Jerry with that guitar.
0: If you've ever been to an Eric Clapton concert, he has no. Less than about 40 guitars on the stage. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and Jerry was the complete opposite. He'd go out and play the same guitar the entire show, and then the next night he'd play that same guitar for the entire show, and the next night and the next night. And he had about six go-to instruments over the course of his career, and they had four of them at, at this show that we went to at Red Red Rocks. I actually have an awesome picture of myself with the four guitars there. (laughs) Travis Bean, Tiger, Wolf, and Rosebud are the names of the guitars. That's awesome.
0: Well, Dave, thanks for uh, stopping by. Uh, Hopefully, uh, we will get to see you out there on the road. Um, Obviously, the uh, new rules of marketing and PR is available anywhere people choose to buy their books. But uh, anywhere else you want to send anybody to learn more about you? Sure. If
1: anyone's interested me. in that concept of sonic branding, we've got some stuff on SignatureTones.com and um, DM Scott on Twitter. always um, love to engage with people. So thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Um, keep up the good work, my
0: friend. Well, you take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.